didn't start the fire It was always burning since the world's been turning We didn't start the fire It was always burning And it's the end of the world as we know it Welcome to This Is How We Die, a podcast about infrastructure, natural disasters, cities, and how you can survive. I'm Megan. And I'm Megan. And this is our season one finale. Um, for which I brought this bottle of champagne. Can I? Yeah. You can Am do I going to pop it. this I'm in so the afraid, eye? I'm so afraid. But you can, I have faith in you. Ah! Woo! <laughs> Yay! I can't do this. I can't reach well, it. I can, I can pour. I'll pour. Okay. Um, I can't touch Jordan's glass, though, because last time I did, he cleaned all my fingerprints off of it. <laughs> Jordan, come have a toast with us. Jordan! I mean, you have to pour Jordan's oh, yeah. glass. Okay. He either is disgusted by me or he doesn't want the police to know I was here. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, my gosh. This what? is a windowless room. <laughs> a windowless soundproof room. <laughs> He's like, I got one season out of them. I don't need them anymore. (laughs) Cheers to season one. Jordan, say hello. We we talk to you and about you all the time, but people haven't actually heard you. (laughs) (laughs) Jordan's like, and that's all the here. I know, but I don't have a script, so mm, it's a little harder. (laughs) This is Jordan freestyling. Jordan, what was your favorite part of what was your favorite episode? You know, Seattle, maybe, but you know, biased, obviously. Probably jo- Johnstown, Jonestown. We've been watching that. Oh, I know, is the documentary terrifying? Yeah. Was it Chicago? The one you thought was a total disaster was LA. Actually, LA was actually very good. I thought. I was actually interested in the water policy stuff, but. As everyone should be. As everyone should be. <laughs> I, I'm surprised. I didn't know I'd be into that, but I'm into that. Everybody's into water. They just don't know it. Yeah. Everybody loves this topic the most of all. Yeah. And Megan, what was your favorite episode? Let's see. My favorite episode was, well, I liked recording to Seattle, but I talk about that literally every day as an emergency manager in Seattle. So I think Chicago, because you repeatedly told me that you didn't want to do that episode and that <laughs> it was going to be boring and stupid. And I think it turned out charming and smart. I think you're right. Actually, that was my favorite episode. Maybe Chicago or maybe Johnstown, just because that was so fun. Well, it did involve barbed wire and fires. This is true. And, and a land tsunami. tsunami. <laughs> I like all episodes of the tsunami. Anything that involves a tsunami, we like. Everything tsunami-based. Uh, he says, just ramble wildly. No. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was the ramble symbol. It's funny how <laughs> wrong we get all of his signals. <laughs> also, like, ramble wildly, record, one and the same. It's all the same. Yeah. So this season, we have covered hurricanes. Earthquake. Storm surge flooding. Drought. And deep, deep freeze in the episode called Chicago, which was both charming and smart. Yes. Both of those things. Also deferred maintenance as an overarching theme for the whole thing. Also, climate change is a problem. Also tsunamis. Every time, all the time. So today's city, 
has all of that and more, except not tsunamis at all. <laughs> well, it's like still the feeling of a tsunami, right? It's still like that uncertainty principle that the world just wants you to know that things can come out of nowhere. Yeah, tsunami is basically just a metaphor. <laughs> Slash As also a wall of water. <laughs> Today we're talking about Kansas City and Kansas Kansas City. City. <laughs> Why is there always singing? Kansas City. Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City is kind of a choose your own climate change disaster situation. It really is. Like anything could happen. So when I started putting together the notes for this episode, Megan was Chicago skeptical. levels of resistance. Yes, I was skeptical. <laughs> um, that Kansas City had anything interesting for us to say about it. But what it turns out that Kansas City is essentially like the disaster nexus of the United States. It, it truly is. Like looking at the um, Kansas City, Missouri, they, they had all of these, everything listed, right? They had tornadoes, hurricanes, or sorry, not, not hurricanes, but like tornadoes, earthquakes, um, deep free, like, you know, deep cold, um, extreme heat, drought, like everything there. But everything was like kind of, you know, there's a high probability, low probability, medium probability. And they were all kind of even in Kansas, you know. So, like, there was a really good chance of all of them happening. Yeah, I love this quote from the Kansas City Star that I threw into our notes because I was like, <laughs> this captures it. But on average, Kansas City is as windy as Chicago, posts twice as many 90-degree days as Atlanta, and on a typical week endures higher humidity than Amarillo, Texas. So, basically... It's the worst place. So when we talk about Kansas City, we are primarily talking about Kansas City, Missouri. And I think it's really important that people realize, because I didn't, I was today years old when I learned this, <laughs> that Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri are actually two separate cities in two separate states with the exact same name that just, you know, run into each other because their state line is just a road that runs through the middle of the two towns. Yeah. So I think before we kind of thought it was um, kind of like a like a Berlin situation, like East Berlin, West Berlin, like it was a one city. They just like randomly drew a line through it, but it's actually two different cities. Yeah. And Kansas City, Kansas is actually the smaller of the two cities. It's only like 150,000 people versus Kansas City, Missouri, which is about half a million people. But Kansas City, Kansas used to be the big city. It tried to annex like Kansas City from Missouri multiple times. Um, and Missouri just like wouldn't give it up. So uh, and clearly town. Missouri won. I mean, <laughs> yeah. They're like, just because it says Kansas City doesn't mean that it's actually part of Kansas. How could you say that? No. Why would you give a city a what different a name? Thing. No way. I think so. There's a lot of fascinating problems with this that are bureaucratic that we don't even think about, which is whenever you're dealing with two cities of the same name, uh, it, we, like even looking at the emergency plan, they're like, oh, well, like Kansas City, Missouri has like all these agreements with all these cities like around to kind of work with FEMA and all those things. But none of them are Kansas City, Kansas. It was all the other cities. So they don't really have an interaction plan that I'm sure they will, you know, if there's an emergency. But at this point in time, they don't really have a cohesive strategy for them together. Yeah, I was when I was doing the reading up on this, I was reading the story about people who live on State Street, the street that divides the two states Wait, from one another. State Street? I believe so. Yeah. 
<laughs> Creative. Clever. Um, and they were saying, like, they'll look out their window and there'll be a bad car accident and they'll call 911 and 911 will be like, what side of the street did the car end up on? Because that depends, like, which state or which city has to go and do the emergency response. Or you'll end up with, like, twice as many responders for every incident that happens on State Street. So basically, if there's, like, a multi-car accident, if they all, like, end up going to different sides of the street, basically, the, the different states, like, if there's better health care in Kansas or something like that, which is not true. Kansas has terrible health care. <laughs> if there's better health care in Missouri, like, it's much better to be on, like, the right side of the street than the left. Yeah, like, if you get shot in Kansas, you should drag yourself across the street. <laughs> like, I will not go to the Kansas hospital. I know about their poor taxation and subsidy schemes. No, and that was like one of the things is there are two cities that have pretty much merged with one another. They like have a state border in the middle of them. But like if you're a Kansan, you don't move to the Missouri side. And if you're in on the Missouri side, you don't like move to Kansas. No, you stay in your own state. Wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> like you would never move to another state. So far away. <laughs> what to do? Oh my gosh. A lot of radioactive material that's driven through there, which is linked to just notes. Um, In case you want to get, like, superpowers. Dun, 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 Spider-Man. Kansas is the place to get superpowers. I've always wanted to have, like, superpowers. I misspoke. Missouri's the place to get superpowers. (laughs) (laughs) Kansas City has had just an enormous number of natural disasters. When we say it's the nexus of all natural disasters, we, like, don't just mean, like, oh, we've talked a lot in this season about terrible things that can happen in cities and it can happen in Kansas City, too. We mean, like, it has happened repeatedly that Kansas City has, um, you know, God's tried to wipe them off the face of the earth and they're just like, no way. I don't know how many of you have ever, like, read the Bible or the Torah, but I— Yes, Bible. I'm not even sure I've ever heard of this thing. Yes, it's, so it's a religious text, you mm, see. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. But in the Bible, there's a story of the ten plagues, which I actually thought were seven until Megan corrected me earlier. Well, we are just past Passover. I had four wine glasses in order to, like, relearn all the plagues. Yeah, so we actually went through today and we listed out all of the plagues that God hits um, Egypt with. And of those plagues... Most of those have also hit Kansas. Yeah. Locusts, got, got it. Um, oh, yeah. What what are all of them? Oh, I had it written down somewhere. Okay. So they have the locusts. Hail. Hail. Um, they had uh, that incident where it, like, rained meat, but that was from something completely crazy. It rained meat? Yeah, yeah. There's a long explanation for it, but it was, like, definitely a freak thing that people were confused about for, like, a long time. And they also had like, that airplane that like fell out of the sky. But that's not a plague. That's just bad luck. Um, <laughs> like, um, it's not God's punishment. Or maybe, I don't know. They have dust storms. So that's the three days of darkness. Um, uh, pestilence and boils. Uh, they've had lots of pandemic issues, including the, That's like, where the 19, like, 18 Spanish flu started. It was at a military training camp in Kansas, and I totally forgot about that until today. And I was like, of course, I remember now. Yeah, so Kansas only attempted through flu to wipe out half the world. And they were, like, super successful. So I'm just saying. So the question that we're even asking ourselves is, who is the pharaoh? of Kansas. Like, who is God trying to teach a lesson to? See, 
as a Jew, I was thinking, do the 19,000 Jews in Kansas City, like, paint la- lamb's blood over their house every night, just, like, just in case? Every night they have lamb burgers. And, like, why do you have lamb all the time? You're just, you know, I like I've it. I've got a lot of blood to collect. It's- I mean, there's always drought and water shortages, but we've talked about that extensively in our, in our other episodes. So we'll just touch on this a little bit. What I learned in the L.A. episode is that it's maybe not the best idea to drain aquifers on which you built your city. What? Really? Is this a fact that might, like, carry me through? This fact is actually true. You should not exhaust the water supply upon which your city and your entire state exists. Uh, And so that brings us to the Agalala Aquifer. The Agalala Aquifer, which is, like, super fun to say. Agalala. Agalala. It's it's underneath eight states, and it supplies 25% of our... Like, 25% of our food production is that they use the Agalaga Aquifer water for that. So without it, 25% of our food production would have no water. So that's important. And specifically for Kansas as a state, it's worth $3.2 billion uh, in, in terms of their economy. And uh, it's they've been draining it. There's only a couple of years left of the water. But there's also been a severe drought this year. And I was reading articles where they were saying that the ground in Kansas City, Kansas, and I guess probably also Missouri because they're close by, is so dry that it's actually, like, breaking the foundations of houses and warping them. So, like, the density of the soil is changing. Yeah. And so it's, like, sucking the moisture out of, like, the foundation and the things around it. So everything's just getting warped, which I can't even wrap my mind around that. Yeah, when I was prepping for this, I talked to a former emergency manager from Kansas, and I was like, what's your worst-case scenario for, like, Kansas City? And Because I really wanted her to say tornado so I could talk about tornadoes. And she was like, that they're going to drain their aquifer and have no water. And I was like, well, too bad. We already talked about that. Tornadoes it is. That was L.A. <laughs> yeah. It was true for, like, most of the West. Since we've already covered it, we can't cover it again. Nobody wants to listen to that web episode. <laughs> or webisode. Is it just webisode? Called? Sadisode. We're so sad. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I, I think I copied a lot of water ca- rights information about Kansas into this, but we can skip through it because it's not necessary. Oh, yeah. No, we can have an episode about earthquakes and Megan will give me notes on water rights. Yeah, I'll find a way to incorporate water rights into it. I always do. Um, <clears throat> Kansas City also experiences a lot of thunderstorms. 51 days of thunderstorms a year, in fact. And... um. Why is that really important? Well, so first of all, because I love thunderstorms. But second of all, because thunderstorms are what make tornadoes. Megan's favorite natural disaster. It is. I love thunderstorms so much. They're so, like, peaceful, except for whenever they actually do, like, hit you with lightning or something. Yeah. So thunderstorms prompt tornadoes. Yes. And, um... Tornadoes are a significant threat in Kansas City. So, like, in the years that we've been tracking since 1950, there's been over 4,000 in the area. Um, So it's not just, like, our obsession with the Wizard of Oz that makes us believe that Kansas is a place where tornadoes happen. It has a lot of tornadoes. But also, the tornadoes have been increasing in frequency since the late 1980s. So it used to be up until you know, the, the 80s or something, that the average was around, like, 40 or 50 a year. But now the average is around 100 tornadoes per year. Yeah, and Kansas City is in what 
is known as Tornado Alley, which runs through the Midwest and is an area that um, people know to be prone to, to tornadoes. But we've also seen this year tornadoes in like far eastern Alabama and areas where they didn't used to have uh, frequent tornadoes. And I, I'm saying frequent tornadoes because tornadoes can actually happen everywhere. They've been reported in all 50 states. So it's not like we here in the Northwest are like tornado free, but we don't have them hitting ground multiple times a year the way you might in um, the Tornado Alley area. But that area is becoming wider and wider and moving more and more east. And I'll be honest, before this episode, most of my knowledge about tornadoes was a limited amount that we learned um, in our program and from the movie Twister, which I still love. I've seen it so many times. It's a great movie. So it's all like Wizard of Oz and tornado chasing. And I wasn't exactly wrong. It does ha- like Twister actually does have some good advice on how to hide from tornadoes, even though they chase them for like fools the whole time. I mean, people do do that in real life too. I know. I'd like to join them like just once. No, I'd say if there's any tornado chasers out there who want us to come with them. Tell us, you know, contact us, you know, we'd love to go. Yeah, if they want to bankroll it, <laughs> then I'm in. Fly us out. We're yeah, gonna have I'll a come to time. Kansas. Yeah. Slash Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. Yeah. So, now there's tornadoes. And there's also, what else, Megan? What What is worse than a tornado? I would guess a fire nado. <laughs> I think you might be right. I think a fire nado might be slightly worse than a tornado. What could that even be? It couldn't possibly be that high speed spinning winds start with fire. I mean, that would just be crazy. That would almost be to like biblical proportions. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Telling you. Someone's being smited right now. I don't know who specifically, but there's a smiting going on. (laughs) <laughs> Luckily, fire natos are not very common. <laughs> not so far, but they will be because wildfires happen because of droughts a lot of times. And, you know, Kansas is well on its way to being in, like, perpetual droughts. And then, you know, they have their hurricanes all the time. I mean, their tornadoes all the time anyway. Yeah, you take really dry land, you add any... <laughs> Why are you dancing about this? Because it's like a fun formula mm. of doom. This is your addition dance? <laughs> I have an addition dance. Mm-hmm. I was in an econ program for like how long? Like, of course, I have dances for every type of mathematical function. You should see me with a Hamiltonian. Um, according to the National Weather Service, the annual t- Kansas tornado counts actually been increasing um, since the 1990s. Um, as you said, that's an average of a hundred a year. It's pretty. It's pretty much more than like a hundred more tornadoes than I've experienced. <laughs> so, Megan, can you tell a little about how tornadoes are formed? Yes, I can, and I'll use some big fancy words that I don't totally understand, but looked up on the internet. Ooh, ooh. So basically, tornadoes often come as a result of thunderstorms, and thunderstorms happen. Um, mostly in the spring in the Midwest. So let's say April and May, so right around the time we're recording this. And they happen because you have that really cold winter air that's still kind of lingering, and then warm air and moisture start to move in as we shift into spring. And um, that, like, quick movement from a mixing of that cold air and that warm air is what causes thunderstorms to form. Now, obviously, 
you don't have a tornado every time you have a thunderstorm. <laughs> um, but there's the potential for it. It all has to do with the way that like the air is mixing and moving with itself in the storm itself. But big tornadoes, the kinds that are like the most devastating to the region, typically come from what's known as like a supercell thunderstorm. Um, and other than both sounding super awesome and yes. looking like an anvil made of clouds. What? Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So if you ever look up in the sky and you're like, that cloud looks like a pretty anvil, you also maybe just should get out of the area. It also like sounds like something you would like see in like a, like a superhero movie, right? Like the supercell. We need to prevent this supercell from performing. Right. And you're going to do a really good job of it because uh, you've been just splashing around in all that Kansas City hazmat. I was like, guys, I'm so radioactive. You don't even know. I'm going to take care of this. It's going to be great. They think you're just bragging about how hot you are and there you start glowing green. <laughs> I'm like, I glow from the inside out. And no, it's not all of my vitamins and avocados and nutrients and electrolytes and positivity thinking and manifestation it's actually radioactive material it's radium like radium makes me glow and radium is going to save us all i do think you're a radium beauty <laughs> you know whenever you actually like those um those people who actually were contaminated with like the alpha uh, like the al- you know alpha beta gamma there's like people are actually infected with, like alpha waves of, of radium because they were like putting in their mouth because normally like for alpha wa- waves you can block them with like a piece of paper but if you put it in your mouth like it's in your mouth they actually did start to glow and also because radium it's kind of um it, it acts as like a fake calcium in your body so that's why it goes into your bones so it makes your bones like kind of implode but you also glow See, we thought we were talking tornadoes, and we got all this awesome facts about radium as well. I just think it's interesting. No, I. this was not an insult. This is, like, <laughs> legitimately why I love you. <laughs> A couple-week period where I was just, like, fascinated with radium, and I was just reading everything I could about it. And I was like, oh, my God. I try to praise you, and you get all self-conscious. <laughs> <laughs> All right, radium girl, take down this supercell tornado or thunderstorm. So uh, supercell thunderstorms, are they all going to turn into giant devastating tornadoes? I think that only 30% actually produce tornadoes. So a supercell thunderstorm, um, in addition to looking like an anvil and being easily taken down by superheroes who just don't focus their time on Kansas City, um, what... It's most, like, defining characteristic is that it's made with a mesocyclone, which really just means that there's a persistent rotating updraft, so the storms actually last a lot longer, and that constant circulating air, if it starts to move at a tilt, that's what causes the wind to start picking up and forming a tornado. So basically if it goes at a certain angle, that's like how, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and so tornadoes actually, like, it's a forming of the clouds and that circular rolling motion that sort of, like, starts to dip its hand down out of the thunderstorm itself. And uh, fun fact that I didn't know until I was doing the research for this, but uh, tornadoes are actually not visible. So, like, 
you know, it's that's not what you'd think. You think of it as being like clearly you can see a twister, but that's as it starts to pick up dirt and debris from the air and then the ground. Oh, okay. That you can yeah. see the actual like spinning movement, which makes sense. The wind yeah. is not really something that you can like <laughs> be Colors like, oh, look at wind. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The colors of the wind are dirt and things, debris. Yeah, the colors of the wind are see-through until otherwise uh, highlighted. Highlighted. Um, okay, so, so basically if they were to like go through like a glitter factory, it would be a glitter It could tornado. be a glitter cone. Glitter clone? Get a glitter clone? We can only dream. We can only dream for that. I mean, no. I don't dream of tornadoes. I'm not like, you know what would be great? Let's have a tornado. But if it was a glitter tornado? I mean, that's better than a not glitter tornado. I mean, it'd just be glittering the sun. You know, like the lights would be reflecting. It would just be beautiful. Okay. I, I, I see your look. Megan's of... romanticizing natural disasters again. So with these super soft thunderstorms, there's the potential for very, very high winds. And when, when they touch down, that either equals nothing at all or it can equal complete devastation. So like all things natural disaster, the natural disaster is only a bad thing if it affects an actual population of people. A tree that falls in the woods and doesn't land on anyone, it doesn't matter like that it fell. Um, a tree that falls on your house was a disaster. And so with tornadoes, you know, one of the benefits of Tornado Alley being the Midwest is it's also like there are large population centers, but there's also large areas where there's no population. So it's not like the 30 percent of super cell thunderstorms that produce tornadoes are going around like destroying cities all over the place. Um, oftentimes they're destroying, unfortunately, farmland or like sparsely populated areas. But I mean, it can't be that bad, right? Because we have tornado warning systems. So like... You know, they see a tornado. They just let us know that it's coming and we're safe, right? I'm not sure about that. Sometimes they can be, but oftentimes there's not any warning. Ridiculous. In Kansas City, K and Mo, they they test them every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. So that's how, yeah, I guess it ha they have 100 tornadoes a every year. Like, they have to, like, keep it. They better test it once a week, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess apparently they form really fast and it's, kind of based on observation like because there's only it's hard to tell the factors that would actually make them form you don't actually know that they're happening until sometimes until they actually are already there yeah i think i read that the average time people have between like the start of the tornado forming and the alarms or not between that and the alarms uh this the alarms going off and the tornado making like landfall on your city um is 13 minutes which is a good amount of time like if we could get a 13 minute warning on an earthquake that'd like, be amazing yeah <laughs> but um sometimes there's just no warning at all and also i guess once they actually hit there's not you have like maybe like what like 30 seconds to get into the basement like you don't have much time if there's no warning whatsoever I guess you would just, like, see the house next to you, like, fly up into the air, and you're like, okay, now I go into the basement? Yeah, start, if things start to fly around in a circular way, you better uh, seek shelter. I, I bet that there's a lot of people in Kansas that kind of, like, you know how you can, like, smell thunderstorms before they happen? I bet yeah. there are people that can, like, smell tornadoes before they happen. I'm curious, because definitely, like, 
you know, I grew up in the Northwest, a place that's very rainy, and I know when it's going to rain. Like, I just have a sense. It's not like a creaky old leg thing. It's just a smell and sense in the air that tells me, like, rain is going to happen or snow. It happens so rarely here. It has, like, a very distinct quality. Um, So... I would definitely be curious to know that. But on the other hand, I also have seen, like, uh, working in emergency management, like, person after person be like, I don't need to evacuate because, like, I lived through this hurricane or this disaster. I have these gut feelings. Yeah, and my gut tells me this isn't going to be as bad as that. So um, even if you have a sixth sense about tornadoes, maybe don't um, refuse to take shelter just because this time you just don't feel like it's going to be that bad. Yeah, I guess I was looking at the numbers, though, and considering the fact there's, like, around 100 tornadoes every single year, the fact that, like, so few people actually die in them, like, because the the mortality rate is actually rather low for tornadoes, considering. So I was like, they must have some, like, amazing ability to evade the tornadoes. I mean, maybe it is also the, the lack of density. This is completely just a theory of mine. It's not fact. This is our spitball podcast where we just say things we think are true. I'll edit every part of this out now. Don't edit any parts of it out. I love you. Well, no, I'm, but I was thinking, like, I don't want to say anything that's not fact. But I do feel like there must be something about, like, people being able to kind of at least, maybe they, like, they're like, well, maybe, and they'll just go into the earthquake cellar. Well, so as someone who does emergency management in a place where we have very few emergencies where we treated a couple of days like of snow like it was like the disaster to end (laughs) disasters but like you know here in the pacific northwest we spend a lot of time preparing for the potential of the big huge earthquake but like we never get to really practice all everything we do is theoretical everything we do is trying to guess what the impacts would be after that disaster and test our planning and adjust our planning to see if we can meet those those presumed impacts. And so the the you know benefit, quote unquote benefit of having such frequent tornadoes is that your population understands the risk and knows what they're supposed to do when it happens and you get to see over and over again like what worked and what didn't about your response, about the way you sent messages, about the way you were monitoring the weather and you can constantly make adjustments because you know you know you were saying like there's a hundred a year and I was thinking that's like a third of the year almost and then I realized no they mostly happen in just two months of the year yeah so I was I was actually listening to a podcast I forgot which one it was but they were interviewing they were talking about this weather man and Everybody just trusts this mother man. Um, I listened to that podcast. Yeah, where oh, my it, God. What episode was that? Oh, I love it. I don't know. But it was amazing because he's a mother man that people just trusted for, like, tornado information. And they were he was talking about how there's, you know, that one day where I guess, like, 39 tornadoes happened all in one day all over the state. I think it was either Alabama or Louisiana. And... He was feeling so guilty about it. He's like, you know, the whole night before I couldn't sleep. I just knew. I just knew that there's more. Because he had been saying that there would probably be like, you know, around 20 tornadoes. But it was double that. But he couldn't sleep that whole night. He was so anxious. I was like, well, there must be something to this. Because to even assume that there would be 20 tornadoes is it's pretty close, theoretically. Because I would only assume there would only be like a couple of tornadoes. And then also on top of that, 
the whole night before, he was he couldn't sleep because he knew something was off, and then he knew something was wrong. I think maybe that's where my theory of people being able to kind of sense tornadoes came from. Are you looking that up right now? Yeah, it was uh, the weatherman on Invisibilia. Oh, I love Invisibilia. Of course, that's how where I found it. Yeah, Invisibilia, guys. It's a great and the weatherman episode was fantastic. That makes sense that I'd be listening to NPR. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise! So, I mean, tornadoes—they happen. They've always happened. They've—they go back to the days of Dorothy and her little dog. So, there's nothing we could have done to be making this worse, right? I mean, no one can blame us for tornadoes. Of course not, unless, you know, we somehow changed the weather patterns because of carbon emissions, which, you know, climate change, theoretical still, right? So, yeah, um, I've read our reviews and I've heard that you're a climate change fear monger. This is true. I've been told that I'm a climate change fear monger. Who just says whatever she pleases. I say whatever I want. <laughs> and to that, I would say, that sounds about right. Yeah. 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 I do say what I, whatever I like because what I say is normally factually based. It's almost I, like there's almost a like lot a, of science. I researched. Only like, yeah, like science. Digression. <laughs> I'm going to digress on this. Let's just talk about this for a minute, shall we? So... I get that there are a lot of people out there that are like, oh, no, like I have feelings about this and I think this. But we actually research this a good amount and everything we have is based in science. I mean, our careers, our degrees, they, yeah. this is it. And maybe you don't like what we're saying. Let's say, let me, let me put this a different way. So, Megan, I went to the doctor the other day and the doctor told me that I had, I don't know what the doctor told you. <laughs> This is not a real, this is a parable, Megan. Sorry, well, I don't I know. I was just worried you were very sick. Yeah, and I realized that as soon as I said, I saw your face, and so I stopped. Because <laughs> I was like, I need to say something funny, but I was like, there's nothing funny that's coming to mind for illness. Okay. Yeah, no, I just think you're telling me on air that we have, you have like a tragic disease. No. I, I, okay, so this is a theoretical thing, but like, let's say you go to the doctor and the doctor says to you, Megan, you know, don't you know, like, you have this, like, rare, oh, you have spongematic encephalitis. Sure. Yeah, which is swelling of the brain, but also creating holes in your brain. It's so cool. But also, you will die, and, like, it's really bad. This is my so cool, really face. (laughs) It's cool to study, not cool to have. And I was like, you know what, doctor? I don't believe you in all of your science and all of your med school because I, I read blogs and these blogs tell me that this disease isn't real. And that's basically what people are doing is that there are real scientists that have doctorates in these things and they're telling them that it's not real because they have a feeling or it's just too terrible. See... And I almost feel like it's worse than that. I almost feel like it's like you went to your doctor and they were like, I'd like to see you eat more fruits and vegetables. And you were like, like hell, I need to do that. I'm perfectly healthy. You're, you're part of big nutrition. Right. Trying and, to make me buy and you're like, food. <laughs> but you're like, the worst case scenario of like 
doing this, whether your doctor was right or not, is that you eat more fruits and vegetables. So like, like to me, the worst case scenario of doing something about like reducing our our carbon emissions and like being kind and clean to our environment is that we have a clean environment. (laughs) And like, yeah, what is with the war on clean air and clean water, guys? Like, also, where is our infrastructure week? My friend, <laughs> I know I was promised an infrastructure week. We were promised infrastructure week. We've been waiting. You don't understand the size of cake we would get for infrastructure week. We would be the happiest for infrastructure week, but like real infrastructure. Because here's the thing: that wall they want, or the slatted fence thing they planned. First of all, it's an ecological disaster. Do you even understand how we did like deal with the water rights? No, because nobody does. Because it makes no sense. Because it's impossible to do. So, I think you're the Republican among us. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> this is also fun. One of us is a liberal Jewish person, and one of us is a Christian Republican. You're going to get me firebombed. They're probably going to think it's me. <laughs> and I'm much more feisty. As we said, like, you're the good Megan, and I'm like, good cop, bad cop. I'm the bad cop. I'm the angel on the shoulder. This is true. And I'm just the one who yells at you nonstop. Yeah, you're like the ranting bitch. That's why I am a climate change fear monger, which you know what? I'm proud about that. I have my very first hater. I'm okay with that. I mean, that we're doing something right. Megan, do you feel the same way? No, like literally my (laughs) self-confidence can't handle it. Like, go leave us really positive reviews. (laughs) So why is climate change a problem here? It's not just because like... Megan and I think that maybe it would be super nice if we didn't destroy the only planet we have to live on. But, you know, I talked about how Tornado Alley is widening. And that's that's not just a mistake or like tornadoes are like losing their way on the way to the Midwest. It's because like the area in which these like tornado conditions are happening is becoming wider and wider. And also because of the different um temperatures that are impacted well this is kind of just expanding so yeah so the thing is as we've talked in our other episodes you know climate change makes more extreme cold and more extreme heat and those impact tornadoes and also drought and also all the other dangerous things that could impact kansas and so whenever you're dealing with those kind of issues climate change is really i mean let's be clear here kansas was never an optimal climate to live in. Kansas and Missouri. Kansas and Missouri. These have always been crazy difficult places to live in. But it's getting worse and it will continue to get a lot more worse. Um, Because of climate change, because of the way they've recklessly used their like natural resources, a.k.a. water. Kansas City, though, is such a good example about how the victims of climate change are not necessarily the perpetrators of it. Because the Midwest is not who is going out of their way. Like, they're not the largest emitting cities in the U.S. by far. Um, But they're the ones who are suffering a lot of the major consequences of it, especially um, not just the Midwest, but that, like, Gulf area, you suddenly have Tornado Alley, like, pushing its way into far eastern Alabama and Georgia. Like, you have far worsening hurricanes. You have significant rainfall coming. 
But these have not been the cities that are like our carb, our most carbon heavy cities. And that's, that's happening globally. You're not seeing like, you know, the U.S. is the largest emitter of carbon in the whole world, but we're not suffering the greatest consequences of a changing climate. That's the Maldives, a small island nation that won't be there for much longer. Yeah, it's one of the cruel ironies that basically what what people did in the 50s in the U.S. is impacting very poor countries all over the world. Um, and also it's changing our own weather patterns. And so we're getting more rain, um, more on the East Coast and everything, which there's less farmland there. And our Midwest is our breadbasket. And we use that breadbasket to feed ourselves, but also to feed a lot of the rest of the world. So it also will have this other consequence of potential food scarcity issues in the near future. So that's why climate change is is the huge issue. And, you know, there's nothing, it's not necessarily the urban environment that they've built or, yeah, they're, they're relatively blameless in this situation, except for the reckless use of water, which many people are guilty of. <laughs> I mean, they've got their own areas of blame. Yeah. One of those I would say is, um, no offense, Kansas City, but you're built in a stupid area. <laughs> we, we've we talked about this, and we've talked about doing a mini episode on the 1951 flood in Kansas City, which is why we haven't talked in extreme detail about it. But Kansas, is, Kansas City is a floodplain. <laughs> like, they legitimately put a city in an area that is supposed to naturally and significantly flood every year. Which means that the area is also um, prone to pandemics in general. Yeah, and that's because you add like warm air and moist environment and you create the perfect uh, kind of setting for like insect-borne illnesses or even things like bubonic plague. The bubonic plague? Spanish flu? Wait, wait, wait. Why do you sing all these things? I don't know. I should really not do that. Are pandemic Lokis? I'm, I'm looking up right now to see if... Um, What's a pandemic Loki? So there are specific areas of the world. There are six areas of the world where pandemics are most likely to form. So there's like one in like Siberia and there's one in um, like kind of like Western Southern China. Um, and then there's there's a whole series of them and I um, need to look up to, to see if it's Kansas. But I'm wondering if it is Kansas because they've had – I mean they had a swarm of locusts. I mean, that's just not even normal. It's very unfortunate. But I bet you it is. It has all the factors that you would need for it to be a Loki. So not only was it built in a stupid area to begin with, Mm -hmm. but have you heard of the spirit of Kansas City? I have heard of the spirit of Kansas City. So after the 1951 mural, even though you told me you've heard of this, I'm now explaining it to you Mm -hmm. for the listener. Um, After the 1951 flood, Uh, Norman Rockwell created a mural, which was all about, like, we will rebuild Kansas City. And, like, people have really – he called it the spirit of Kansas City. And people have really embraced that idea that no matter what knocks down Kansas City, like, they'll always rise up again. And that's both, like, incredibly admirable, (laughs) but also – Is that your best choice? Like, you can continue fighting the world and the weather. But, I mean, Mother Nature normally wins these kinds of battles, historically. Yeah, like, I'm both proud of them because I won't go on a run if it's too windy. (laughs) And, like, appalled because um, 
you know, what is that? The definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and believing you'll get different results. Yeah, that is the definition of insanity and valid here. Yes. Well, my new nickname for that is uh, the spirit of Kansas City. (laughs) Then there's also the fact that they decided to run a straight line through the city. Yeah. So being it's technically two cities. So two cities with the exact same name in two different states. um, But they're they're one metropolitan area. And that has been that's been challenging since they first kind of started to butt up against each other. Um, because they're running at the state line, they're no longer, like, spreading east-west. They're having to go, like, north-south along <laughs> this, like, state border line. Completely arbitrary state line, by the way. As all state lines are. But yes. most of them are sort of defined by, um, like, bodies of water and rivers. You know, the Mississippi River separates a lot of states from one another. Um, but in this case, they just... Um, you know, they just drew a line down the middle. And in fact, like Missouri and Kansas State have been at each other since they were initially created. You know, like Missouri was created first. It was admitted as a slave owning state. Then Kansas came in. It was admitted as not slave owning, but it was there was like incredible debate and argument over whether this should happen or not, whether they should be allowed to have slaves whether they should be a free state it's funny to me that they just didn't move to like slightly further apart to this day that like inability for them to make good neighbors with each other like is felt everything about their decision-making process of those people originally i'm fascinated by like i would love to go back in time and just like sit there in the meetings where they're determining that they would do this because it's so inexplicable it makes no sense it's the most illogical thing i can think of They've only managed to pass one time a joint, like, taxing bill. Just once? Just once have they been able to, like, put together a bill that was, pre- that was presented to both states and approved by both states to fund, like, infrastructure that's shared by the region. And that's, like, huge. Like, you, you, the Kansas City Chiefs are not the Kansas City, Missouri Chiefs. They're, they represent the whole Kansas City area. And, I mean, similar to how, like, the New York Giants actually play in New Jersey. <laughs> so, like, they're representing the whole area. And they tried in recent years to, like, put forth a public funding bill that would support and improve their um, stadiums and the, like, infrastructure that supports, like, transportation to and from those stadiums and some of their public transport options. Wait, wait, wait. All of their joint things were taxes for stadiums, the least useful <laughs> of infrastructure? Are you kidding me? I mean, uh, that one failed. They're illogical in every way. <laughs> that one they, failed. They're so, there's so much they need to spend their money on. Stadiums are not one of them. I mean, at one point, they had a streetcar that ran all of Kansas City Mo. And then just, like, stopped at the state line. So I've seen something like this once before. This is between the border of China and North Korea, where, <laughs> um, where there's, a, there's a bridge that connects them. And so I thought the bridge was really short because half of it was lit up, and I, I came in at night. And so I saw, like, this beautiful, like, lit up bridge. And then they're like, oh, no, that's only half the bridge because – in the middle, it turns into, like, North Korea. So, like, China lit up their bridge with all these beautiful colors. But then as soon as it hit the middle of the bridge, it was just complete darkness. And so it's good to know that Kansas and Missouri have followed the same 
same structure and generosity with each other as North Korea and China. For neighbors, they're very different states politically. In doing, like, the research for this, there were a lot of, like, Missourians who were like, well, I'm a yellow dog Democrat. I just, like, don't really know what they're doing over there in Kansas. You know, nobody's going to say Missouri's a blue state. But, like, Kansas in recent years has been pretty destructive in their state policies and um, laws when it's come to, like, funding well their state in general they're underfunded on education they're underfunded on police and fire and all their ems response and that's um because they they believe in drastic draconian tax cuts and maybe i the republican should talk about this because it was a bunch of republicans that did this and so she doesn't and so you won't have to worry about the haters because i'll hate me because <laughs> i'll be the turncoat so yes Kansas decided to do the most illogical thing in the world and basically cut almost all the taxes, which meant that everything they needed to fund, all the social goods. And, like, no, it's not welfare for schools, and it's not welfare if you have a police, and it's, it, it's normally – everything in life costs something, and if you wanted to hire your own police, they do that in South Africa because it's so dangerous there, and it's expensive. If you want to, like, you know, pay for your kid's own schooling, you know – Private tutors are also expensive. So is private school. Um, healthcare, you want to pay for all of that out of pocket each time you go there. Even the water, because, you know, all of that water is brought to you by subsidized United States Corps of Engineer projects. Everything, everything is subsidized. And so if you were trying to pay all that all, all out of pocket instead of, um, you know, having a lot of it subsidized to you by the government, it would be much more than the tax base that you currently pay, even if you are paying in the top bracket. Because all those things cost a lot of money unless you do it at economies of scale or aka known as social goods. So they decided to cut all of it. And it lasted for like a couple of years until even they were like, this was a terrible, terrible idea. And so now they're trying to do that, but they've already gone through, like, all of their reserves. So they're building all back up again. Yeah, they voted to overturn those tax laws, and their their governor vetoed it, and they were able to get a large enough majority to kick him out. To, well, to but, overturn yeah. his veto. Um, I do not believe he's governor anymore, though. I mean, when they went to overturn it, despite drastic cuts in spending, and they cut so many programs and there was this belief that if you cut taxes, people will make a lot of investment in the state. Not true. Trickle on economics has never really been proven to be successful in any case studies. And it especially shouldn't come at the cost of, like, police and fire and schools. Schools. <laughs> Which is where it's usually yeah. coming from. Like, if you can't afford to keep your schools open, that's a problem. Anyway. So we did a bunch of stupid stuff. <clears throat> but how are we going to survive? Like, whether we don't want there to be climate change or not, whether we think the bureaucracy is terrible or not, we're also sort of on our own, right? Oh, yeah. I forgot. We, did, we didn't do, like, how we would die at the beginning of the episode. Well, no, because we celebrated our first season being over because we're so good and we stuck with something. <laughs> this is so true. But we should also probably talk about how we would die in it so that we can – like, what is the what, – what are we thinking is our – like, Megan, what do you think is going to happen to me? How do I think you're going to die in yeah. Kansas City? Yeah, tell me. Well, I mean, despite, like, your claims to being a Republican, I'm a little afraid they might just drive you out of town. <laughs> it's, it's always the pitchforks. The farms with pitchforks for me, isn't it? Yeah, what is that? 
I don't know. Though, uh, now that I know that you think that we should go to the Midwest and start chasing, like, tornadoes around, I have a pretty good sense that the way you go down is that a tornado goes straight through a glitter factory, and you're just like, that is some pretty-ass stuff. I'm like, that is the most told beautiful, <laughs> that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and I just, like, stare, like, transfixed yeah. by the glittering, beautiful, moving air. And then, whap. Right in the side of the head with a, like, fence post. Maybe I could go up in the tornado. Whap in the side of the head with a fence post. Okay, fine. <laughs> Sorry, Dorothy. You're not flying away in the tornado. Somewhere. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am refusing to participate in your desire to turn this into an all-singing podcast. <laughs> I know. I don't like that I got hit by a fence. Mm, no one would. But it's not unlikely. How do I think you would die? I think that you would die locust. It has to be the locust. They're so crazy. And they also had a plane fall out of the sky just like randomly. Um, I mean, they've had so many pedestrian skyways come crashing down and... The response be so sloppy that, like, literally academic papers are still being written about it. Oh, yeah, that's true. But I'm going to say Swarm of Locusts all the same just because it's so ridiculous. So you're there. You decided to buy a farm in Kansas, even though I told you not to because they don't have enough water. But you've got a good deal because there's no water. And then all of a sudden, one night, like, all these locusts, like, descend on your fields and you're very angry about it as one would be and so you and your husband you're out there and you're like trying to get rid of the locust and they start to just come closer and closer to you they kill you with their tiny locust mouths i don't know exactly how locusts kill they just smother me yes you're smothered by locusts because so they just find me like <laughs> in a field covered in locusts or I'm just I'm just dead and they're just like I wonder what happened here all of her corn is gone well so locusts are actually just grasshoppers and they just like become really really dense for some reason Mm -hmm. and so so eventually though they disperse they disperse they just like kind of let it go and they're just like okay I've I've done my my business here like I've made things terrible now I can leave and when Kansas City was overrun with locusts before, um, it was much more agricultural at the time. But the governor at the time recommended that people, like, take a day off work and focus on, like, prayer and, like, asking for redemption and fasting as a way of, like, getting the locusts to go away. And, like, sure enough, three days later they did. So This is true. It's probably some sort of scourge on you. Like, someone, some deity is upset with you. <laughs> No, I'm not going to die. In fact, I am going to survive. I'm going to survive the Kansas City tornadoes. I, I mean, I'm definitely going to survive this locust thing. I'm, I'm not farming, um, even though, like, we'll talk about this in the future. But the ability to feed the world is, like, the most mind-blowing and, like, amazing thing to me. I know. Like, to be able to produce enough food that every grocery store has all that food in it. Oh, guys. It's just, it's, it's like amazing. beautiful and it's, remarkable. It's so amazing. Like I've given birth and still the ability to provide food to everyone is like the most glorious thing I've ever seen. And then like my baby son, brand new. You're, like, you're almost as amazing as this produce aisle. 
to go into a grocery store and everywhere you look, there's a vast amount of food to choose from. And it's like that in every grocery store all over the place, down every street in the United States. And we're doing that globally. Like, it's mind-blowing. It's incredibly unevenly distributed. But maybe I am buying a farm. Maybe I am, like, like bowing at the feet of farmers everywhere. <laughs> like, honestly, I might do that in the future. I, I really might. Like, I'm super worried about it. Also, like, my grandpa was a farmer. Did I tell you that? Yeah. Um, production of, of food is... It this worries. is not a story for now. This, this is, is a story, story for, for season three, I think. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get there, We'll guys. get to it eventually. Do not worry. We'll talk about it. <clears throat> but anyway. So. Right now, we've got to survive a tornado, and it's coming down hard. We've got a siren. We've got 13 minutes. Where are you going? You're at home. Okay, so I'm going down into my cellar because I, there should be a cellar. Most houses there do have cellars for this particular reason. And so it's like a earthquake cellar. So there will be no windows um, there will be like heavy doors. It will be underground. You'll be able to lock it pretty tightly. Hopefully, you'll be have like an entrance, like you know the the shed doors will be able to close, and you'll have like a second set of drawer, second set of um, doors. Uh, so, so like, yeah, to kind of really just really make it really secure. Um, and then I just wait underground. Hopefully, I'll have some sort of alcoholic beverage to like kind of deal with it. You know, hopefully I'll have, like, some p- cool people to hang out with. I mean, who would you take into your bunker? Like, I think about this all the time. Like, who, if I had to, like, be underground, like, who who would I choose? Well, I'd definitely pick my family. I mean, <laughs> you know, my husband, my son. Yeah. Like, the aunt who keeps posting, like, love notes to tro- Trump on Facebook. Like, she can stay here in her own bunker, and that'd be okay with me. Like, I'm not wishing her ill. Just... Separate bunkers. Separate bunkers. Yeah. yeah. You need space. Yeah. I'm going to need space. Um, I mean, I'd love if your bunker, like, had a telephone connected to my bunker. <laughs> Maybe, like, a can with a string. Yeah. Like, like, hi, Megan. I'm, I'm giving us, like, bunker connectivity. Yeah. But, like, also space when needed. No, that's so true. <laughs> we need, like, we need some space. And then, and then... Like Jordan, maybe we'll just have we'll have both of our bunkers like look in, just like it does for the sound studio, where we can just like always kind of like see him. Oh, if our bunkers have windows into Jordan's, Jordan's bunker. bunker. <laughs> Jordan, how, well, how does Jordan look right now? I can't see him from this angle. Jordan's looking at us like, why are you talking about me so much? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I'm not even sure I could be in an underground bunker similar to the studio we're in right now if I couldn't look at Jordan's beautiful face. I've never been able to see him. I've just, like, heard. It's true. You know, I have the window to Jordan, and you're just on your I own I have the, the window corner. to the, like, so I can, my angle, I can just see the door. So I ho- always hope that Nadine will walk in, but she really does. Well, you know something's coming for us. This is true. This is very true. Now, let's say your house doesn't have a cellar. Uh, in that case, you just want to you want to get to the lowest level of your house, which if you don't have a cellar, is, is going to be the first floor. In case anyone's confused by that, and you're going to find a room to kind of enclose yourself in, and that's going to be a room that has no windows. That um, essentially you're just looking for like the darkest, like most contained area of your house. So it's usually going to be like a bathroom, a closet, that sort of thing, um, and. 
I think sometimes you'll see in like movies and TV shows, somebody like climbs into the bathtub and like pulls a mattress over themselves. Um, and according to like Missouri emergency management, like in the reading and research I was doing, they're like, yeah, that might work. Like surprisingly, that might work. They said like, you know, that that's not going to work if the room itself is breached. You'll probably have a very hard time holding on to that mattress over you. But having like the bathtub around you, that like very solid like container and a mattress over you prevents it so that when winds pick up, if any debris start flying, like you're protected from them. And um, that's where most people die in her- in tornadoes. I mean, that's why I had the, the fence post take you out is that. It, it's not that they get swept up in the tornado. It's that flying debris hits them. And when, when you've got m- winds of 80 miles an hour picking things up and spinning them out, and, and they don't just join the tornado. The tornado throws things out of them. I mean, I, I think you've seen the photos before of, like, sticks of hay that have become, like, essentially arrows through a fence. Like, the wind of a tornado threw them so hard and so fast that they, like, ate a single haze stick was able to become essentially like an arrow shot from a bow. And so like that that's incredible. So anything you can do to protect yourself from from that in with cushions, with helmets, with anything you can put around yourself that might like lessen the blow should something come flying at you. Um you're you're very much at the mercy of the wind, but you're hoping to ride it out because it is just like a brief moment and then it's over. Yeah. But underground, if you can, it, low to the ground as much as possible. Yeah. For the car, the, everyone says like stop underneath the highway underpass. You know that's a good idea, but that's actually as we've talked about before for Chicago, for, like wind tunnels are never your friends, and that's kind of creating a, a wind tunnel. If you see a tornado, you should go at 90 degrees and just try to get away as fast as possible. Now, a lot of times you see the cars trying to outchase the the tornado. Or maybe I just saw that in Twister. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what's real and what's Twister these days. <laughs> Me either. But, yeah, so you should try to drive away from it as fast as you can. But if it looks like it's going to overtake you, which, you know, honestly, with the winds and everything, probably will because you won't be able to drive as fast as you think you will, pull your car over and then try to, like, hide in, like, a ditch, you know? Like, get down, like, in, uh, find any kind of subterranean, low, yeah. low ground, and just stay there, keep your head down. Even if you feel like the tornado is going over, you don't look up because of all the debris reasons that you said. And try to also don't go right by your car because your car is probably going to fly away and you don't want to get hit by your car. Like, <laughs> oh, hit by your own, own car. car. Why like, is that I, not how I, I had you killed? Like, that's how I should have killed you. Oh, my gosh. You're right. I can recut it. Uh, and then you get hit by your own car. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Like, that's. And then um, at work and at school, same thing. You know, shelter on the lowest level. But the fun fact I got from that is that walk-in freezers can be very good shelters in a tornado. That kind of makes sense, yeah. right? Like it's... Cold. Cold. But contained. Yeah, yeah. There's no way that things aren't gonna really hit you, and it's also like really hooked up to the ground. And everything. it makes a lot of sense. It's just you better have a coat. <laughs> yeah, like you hope to be warm. Which actually amazing transition into what I'm keeping in my survival bag, and that's rain jacket, warm layers, galoshes, because. If I'm in Kansas City, I'm either probably evacuating due to tornado 
or to my city's like overwhelming desire to flood all the time. And having the right like gear on makes all the difference between um, well hypothermia and gangrene foot or not. I mean, for my survival bag, it's all the basic things we talk about all the time, like basic safety things. Um, you know, having a family plan, having appropriate clothes for that sort of situation, having a helmet somewhere nearby or you know where it is because, you know, as silly as it is, helmets protect you from, you know, bikes, accidents. They also protect you from things flying at you from her, from tornadoes. Yeah. You know? if, if you hadn't been so distracted by that glitter tornado, you might have put your helmet on. I was and you might still be here by today. the glitter tornado and it was the most beautiful thing I ever saw. It's also the last thing I saw, but it was beautiful. Since with tornadoes, you're, um, you're sheltering, you know where you're going to go in the event of a tornado. You know if you're going to your cellar, you know if you're going to your bathroom. Like, that's a good place to keep your kit. Like, keep it near you. Because if the tornado passes and, and your home's been destroyed or your neighborhood or just it's not your, – your utilities have been destroyed and you're not going to be spending time in that area anymore. Like, you don't want to be hunting through debris trying to find this, like, kit you meticulously put together with, like, your personal documents and cash and car keys. You, you want to know where it is. And so keeping it in the same place you're going to be sheltering, like, makes it all the easier for you to go and get it when the time comes. Yeah, I think we've all seen, like, the pictures of cities after tornadoes, and there's just no way that you're going to find – anything unless it's underground or under a bathtub yeah Yeah. i mean i i find it mind-blowing from like where i live in my perspective that people can live in an area where such a devastating threat is possible and like live day to day so like i gosh it's that spirit of kansas city it's like getting me verklempt (laughs) i like that you wrote that you mentioned plan for your little dog too Yeah, emergency kids should plan for pets. They really should because at the end of the day, you're probably going, you're probably far too attached to your animal. And you will, you'll do that thing where like a hurricane's coming and the dog's outside and running and you're like, come here, skipper, come here. And then the tornado's coming faster and faster and then you both die. And I know this because there's a fire drill in my apartment and it's the middle of the night. And I, I think I thought at the time it was a real fire. And my cat ran to the one spot in the apartment that I couldn't reach her. It's like in the exact middle under the bed, so I couldn't get to my cat. And so I was there, and I was like, come on, Dimitri. Dimitri Khrushchev, come out right now. And he just wouldn't. And so I had to, like, literally crawl into the bed and, like, pull him out, like, by his little claws and go find his little leash. And it was awful. And had it been a real fire, we would have both died. People don't lose Animals are not going to react logically in a disaster. You mean the animals being humans because that was a terribly illogical way to react. Yes. But but I'm saying it's like, so they're not going to be logical. You can't just act that way. So you will also not act logically because you will be over-attached to them. Animals are family. So treat them like you would your family and have a plan and a kit for them as well. And know where you're – Extra kibble. Yeah, yeah, food, uh, the treats they might need, anything that you might need to contain them, like leashes or a crate or, uh, like, you know, low-stress comfort vest that you wrap them up in that, like, helps them control their feelings. Yes. Yeah, I know you have a... So they're not all in their feelings all the time. Yeah, keep them out of their feelings. (laughs) And also, if you have kids, tell the kids, tornado, go to the basement, you know, like, teach them these things so that let's say god forbid like you're not there and like they're at school they still have an idea of what to do kids do so great with practice they are not scared of the facts that that 
terrible things can happen in the world, uh, like tornadoes, like other natural disasters. But they're scared of not knowing what to do or how, like, their family is going to survive. So if you if you really sell it as, like, hey, tornadoes are bad, they can happen, but, like, we're all going to be okay if you do things this way, like, that gives kids such a sense of, like, safety and purpose because they feel like they have control over it. You know, um, part of being an adult is realizing that, like, you never had the control. I mean, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, up until, like, recently, you know, whenever they were doing the nuclear holocaust, um, like, drills, yeah, right? Like, they're, get like, right they're, under like, your desk. Get That'll under your desk. You'll be fine. Obviously, everybody knew we were all going to die. But it was, like, good for the kids because they didn't know that. So they would hide under the desk. They would feel like, okay, this is okay. We don't have to have this existential fear this entire time about nuclear holocaust, even though they really should have and... Eventually they gained it, I think probably in their teenage years. And then the last thing that I'm going to make sure my kit is stuffed full with, and this is such an emergency manager thing, but is hard cash money in small bills because I'm not giving somebody 20 bucks for one roll of toilet paper. Um, I know emergency managers here who think earthquake, and they like literally, unjokingly, Ron swanson have cash buried in their yards. Uh, in case they need it, in the case of, like, following an earthquake, it's total anarchy. And it's not a bad idea. Yeah. And also, but cash is not as valuable. Oh, no, I don't want to say what I'm about to say. As what? Selling your body? No! (laughs) Well, we see where my brain went. (laughs) No, but gold is is more useful. I mean, cash assumes a government. What? I mean... I guess we're assuming that this doesn't affect the entire government, so our our currency will stand. Okay, <laughs> this is true. Wow, this is just like creepy prepper territory. Sorry, I was like, <laughs> I, was like I I started to say this without even realizing what I was saying. Like I was like drilled into me as a child to always have some like hard, valuable like resources on hand besides cash in case the cash was to become less valuable. Which in times of of uncertainty it has been true. I'm not saying like, diversify a lot, like. But gold is a global currency. Yeah, and, and honestly, you have get like a gold necklace or something. Like it doesn't have to be like a thing. At least yours wasn't prostitution. <laughs> I can't believe that's what your mind went to. Yeah, I don't know. I really thought that was your suggestion. There are a hundred tornadoes a year, and they have yet to turn to total and complete gold economy anarchy. <laughs> Gold economy, that's the thing is like, whenever you think about it, you're like, do I want to live in a world in which gold economy is the economy? Like, like, because that means that we've gone, like, things have gone real badly for, like, a really long time. This is just, like, we're supposed to be teaching people how to survive, and you've, like, you, one tornado took out the government, our, like, form of currency, we're all, like, self-malicious. I would, I don't know where that came from. I will edit that out. I'm not sure you should. It's so, like, delightfully ridiculous. Well, no, it's not ridiculous. Like, I'm not saying the tornado is going to take us out. But, like, it's not a terrible idea to have some sort of gold or some sort of, like, titanium, some sort of valuable metal on hand just in case. Not a lot, just a little. I'm such the government employee because I'm like, it's okay. Have some water and food. We'll be there soon. And I think that for the, the like, 99% of the chance, like, that's true, right? But, like, there's always that 1% chance. So it is so bad to invest something small, like, as, like, insurance. Your bunker is so much real or more real than I realized. 
Are you that man who created the weird bunker in Tiger Mountain and had like the military standoff? You got out of jail. You started a podcast with me. Absolutely. Yes. Dude, it's so good to meet you. Welcome to my crazy world. Okay, so prepping, prepping, prepping. Megan, do you want to go on vacation with me? I mean, (laughs) I'm not really sure. You've like, you've talked about like gold economy and like bunkers and the fall of the U.S. government and like weapons and then your transitions like, so Megan, I want to take a trip. Well, wait until you hear about it. You are a trip. It's, there is a Disney World for people like us and it's called Crisis City. Oh, my God. Please tell me about Crisis City. So Crisis City, Kansas has it. They built it, of course. So it's a disaster simulation zone. It has a derailed train. It has a leaking natural gas pipeline. It has um, an urban village of perpetual civil war and and rubble of a collapsed infrastructure. Um, Texas also has one that's called Disaster City. Which one's better? I, I don't know. It's kind of like Disney World versus Disneyland. Like, who knows which one's, like, optimal? Um, I mean, they're both – they both have their highlights, I'm sure. This sounds like a dr- – like – A dream. Okay. Like, legitimately, I've been out to the Emergency Management Institute in Maryland, EMI, and, like, it it was, like, FEMA summer camp. It was, like, you and a bunch of disaster nerds got to, like, hang out all day doing fun, like, summer camp activities, like, stimulating res- or simulating response to an earthquake and uh, doing karaoke and ghost hunting in Gettysburg. You know, the things disaster people do. Yeah. Um, and this is, like, truly is my dream vacation to go to I know, this right? Like, you're town. like, now do we do? What do we do? Like, let's get through this rubble somehow. They use this all the time. Like, it's free for people in Kansas, but people are, but for Missouri, it's not free. Or for any of the other, like, other states other than Kansas, like, they have to, like, pay to use it. But, like, the Department of Defense uses it. Like, they use it all the time. Um, and so this allows them to do constant training and prepping for it. And so we should say the spirit of Kansas City, a part of it is intense preparation all the time because as you said like every week they have like earthquake they have a tornado drill but they also constantly are using their crisis city which probably because it's super fun honestly but also probably because it really helps them whenever it comes to dealing with the impacts of earthquakes and droughts and all the other things they have i never realized how badly i needed a vacation to kansas city and like the kansas greater kansas city area until this episode i'm like we're gonna chase twisters we're gonna go to crisis city we're going to cross from one state to another just by crossing the street like the thrills they never end they yeah it's like disney world but for adults like good disney world for adults who love disasters Because I think there are, like, a lot of adults out there who are like, I'd rather go to Disney World, a land of happiness and fun, and we're, like, a leaking natural gas pipeline? I'm Oh, my goodness gracious. Ooh, I know. Double-decker freeways. I'm like, ooh, you're going to collapse. You you only have a little bit left, and whenever this happens, I will be here. I like that cross-section between terrified and super excited. Yeah, they're like, what's going to happen? It's like a roller coaster, but it's everyday infrastructure. And once it happens, it's going to be every day of our lives for at least six months. And then we'll probably be tired of it. We won't want to go to Disney World anymore because it'll, like, lose its charm. Yeah, slash horror. (laughs) (laughs) So we prepare. That's what we do. We prepare and we get ready for the worst and we know what our plan is. 
um, which is all really good if you just want to accept the inevitability of disaster. But what else can we do to make this a little bit better? The one thing is Kansas City, uh, the Missouri side, it, it wants to be a smart city's leader. Um, and so I think partially because they have to have all these warning systems for tornadoes, but they, they've been really in, investing in all of the innovation and infrastructure for smart cities for, you know, better um, warning systems, but also um, more efficient, like lighting, like uh, like what do you call it again? Stoplight lighting systems and like building houses that are more resilient for these things. That's one thing. They've also, they're trying to work on like having better collaboration for um, funding projects between the two cities, which would make their whole preparation a lot better. And it's super interesting because um, if they weren't in two different states, it's not that hard. It's easy for two cities in the same state to go to each other and be like, Let's f- pass a special tax district. Let's like both put in money towards this project. But when it starts to be like two states collaborating on the same issue, it is incredibly, incredibly complex. There are fundamental differences between the way states approach funding and what their infrastructure priorities are and the way that cities can work with one another that like this is literally a street running through two, like separating two cities that makes like a world of difference in how they can fund and um, like work towards shared infrastructure. Well, that's how they figure it out. You've been giving me your like, that's a passionate speech, Megan, face. <laughs> Whenever it comes to bureaucracy and like deferred maintenance, like she gets this look on her face. <laughs> I know, it's like trans, like... but just like this like glowing, happy look as you like imagine a future in which states have streamlined tax policies. Yeah, my hots for beautiful. legislative policy are, they're real hot. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's pretty amazing. And I guess also, you know, building, like having better building codes and standards. Yes, let's build infrastructure. Let's build our way out of this. Infrastructure week. Where is our infrastructure week? Specifically dams, deferred maintenance dams. Our incredibly, like, limited pipeline system. Infrastructure week. We want this. You should all want this, too. You should be writing to our congressman asking for infrastructure week, hopefully with lots of parties associated with it. Oh, yeah. Again, the cakes. The cakes. what does it mean to build our way out of a tornado threat, though? Like, you can't just, like, build a tornado-proof building, right? No, you cannot. So... To do this, you have to build a stronger wall system to prevent the chance of collapse um, due to, like, heavy will winds. You don't want to, like, armor your house, but maybe you kind of do, right? <laughs> to protect, you know, as we said, like, hay going through, like, fences. So you're dealing with high winds, and so you should build, like, a harder outer shell. So, like, whenever the hurricane does happen or the tornado does happen, it won't – even if it does hit your house with lots of things, there's some sort of – stronger outer shell to protect the inside which is where you would be just having that in place would do a lot for protecting the infrastructure and also you and this is one of those strange natural disaster cases where like the smaller the building that like one to three story building is actually way like more susceptible to the disaster than like a like business tower you know where you have like you usually have a lot of towers built together it's really hard for a tornado to like keep up its wind speed and momentum when it's hitting yeah because it like breaks up yeah a downtown city uh versus like a A suburb or a set of homes yeah Yeah. that's why like whenever it goes through um 
you know, houses that are not anchored to the ground, like mobile homes. That's why that's when where the very worst damage can be. Yeah, there's there's like a myth out there that mobile homes are like somehow attract tornadoes or are more susceptible to tornadoes. But that's just mobile home parks get the coverage because they're so incredibly unsafe to be in during a tornado. They're so susceptible to those high winds. They collapse under them. They're easily penetrated. And so like that's where the deaths are and where the deaths are is where the media coverage goes. I think that's it. Oh, my gosh. Ah, we finished a season. We finished a season. Um, so thank you to all of you listeners, all the positive support. Um, everyone, amazing. Uh, everyone who subscribed, uh, everyone who included our podcast in your classroom syllabus. I know. Like, I mean, and and thank uh, you, students. Like, I I hope I hope that you're not listening to us being like, what's going to be on the test? Why are these girls rambling about radium? If so, what part I'm of sorry. the test is about a glow like a gold economy? Um, thank you to everyone who's left a review. If you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, get on there right now. The algorithm needs you. Um, when I say get on there right now and leave a review, it's I mean very pushy. a five-star review full of kind comments about Megan without an H. Megan with an H says she can handle any form of criticism. Like if you want to yell at me, that's cool. Um, I mean, but still write us a review. Even if you hate us. Five stars and then a lot of writing about how much you hate yeah, us. Yeah, be like, I have a lot of business with you people and let me tell you about it. That's totally fine. But just give us that because otherwise we don't even get pulled into the algorithms. There's like a whole algorithm uh, equity issue where like basically discrepancy issue. No, I like algorithm equity. equity. Okay. Yeah. Algorithm equity issue, which is that basically if we don't have a certain amount of reviews and uh, written reviews – that they'll just ignore us completely. It's like we don't even exist, and we clearly do. We clearly exist. Um, and then thank you always to Jordan. He lends his face in his studio and in his heart. He's put up with so much in the past couple of months because we've recorded and we've re-recorded and we recorded again. Yeah, um, when we say we don't think an episode was very good, he's gotten to the point where he's like, yeah, well, you're banned from re-recording it. So yeah, you're not allowed to record yeah. recorded anymore, Megan's. And to Nadine, who's, like, let us borrow her husband for several, several hours for many, many weeks. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure most of the time they both would really like the Megan's out of their house so they They're could like, go to bed. They're like, why don't they leave? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and to our f- friends and our family who've listened, um, provided feedback, uh, use our social media for us. Um, and, and everyone who's said as kindly as they can, um, I haven't listened yet, but I hear it's very good. <laughs> we'll be back. We will be back. We will be back in early August and we will check in with you. And we'll, we'll have like many episodes for the next couple of months just because, so, you know, we all know they'll all be traveling. And you'll probably be bored enough to listen to all of our podcasts at that point. Captive audience. Desperate to hear from us. You're like, we'll be traveling a lot like during that time, too. So. And follow us on Instagram. Yeah. At this is how we die podcast. Woo-hoo. We did it. We recorded. You know, considering we were basically strangers when this started. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
I'm like, like now, now comes this recording studio. Like, I'm giving made this outline for Legitimately, you. the story of this podcast is like, I had lunch with you for work. You said, I would love to have a podcast called This Is How We Die. And we talk about natural disasters and infrastructure. Doesn't that sound fun? And I said, that sounds like a great time. And like literally the next time I saw you, I was being like led into Jordan's basement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you understood that we were recording that night. Like I was so confused as to why you look so confused. And then, but then I handed you like the script and you were like, you like looked at me. And I was like, what's happening? She looks so scared. I looked at you like, what is happening? And then I sat down and I recorded an episode about Seattle that was full Fantastic. of facts and fun. Yeah. No, no, no. You did a phenomenal job. I, like you, you, but I didn't realize that you didn't know we were going to record that day. I always felt kind of bad about that. Like I thought I explained that. I don't know. You're, you're like. I'm very shang- cryptic sometimes. <laughs> no, like. Legitimately, your Shanghai podcast has been both like a highlight of my year <laughs> and has led to like our increasingly wonderful friendship. So, yeah. like, what's to hate? Yeah, so much fun. <laughs> Shanghai is the best way to do things. <laughs> do you want more champagne to celebrate? Yes, I would.